full cast and crew is part of the Chuckler Podcast Network. Other Chuckler podcasts include All My Famous Friends, a podcast where comedians interview and interact exclusively with other comedians. They're friends and you're not. All My Famous Friends, available by invitation only. And even then... Okay, now it's recording. I hear it. I hear myself. You see the waves. I see the waves. Well, uh, it's the Friday before the Christmas holiday here at Full Cast and Crew Podcasting H-Q. Central, and we were going to watch Aquaman today, the day that the movie is released, and then we were going to record a podcast about Aquaman, and I even had a fun idea. We were going to sit down and record a little bit about what your thoughts and expectations were for Aquaman. We'd record yours and we'd record yeah. mine. My expectations would be extremely low. <laughs> yours would probably be high. And then we would get back on and record. Listeners are missing the, uh, the physical, the way I think they get it. Hey gang, this is Chris. So uh, the recording of this episode had a couple of technical problems and we lost part of this story. The upshot was that Jason and I were going to watch Aquaman and podcast about it directly after, but the work day was more packed than we expected and we didn't get to actually watching it until the end of the day, by which time we didn't have it in us to watch a whole two and a half hour movie. Sometimes work gets in the way of podcasting. Yes. Um, Wait, let me make sure that I have my my appropriate notes here. Okay. Why don't you start us off, Chris? Welcome to Full Cast and Crew. A fun... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> something just fell. And we had another technical issue when something fell off the wall in the podcasting studio. But your intrepid co-hosts continued on. Call, should I put out an emergency call? Nah. Even though this won't come out for about a week? By then it might be too late, too but late. this will be an archive. Yeah. Uh, welcome to Full Cast and Crew, a fun yet considered, yet relaxed, yet well-reasoned, yet accessible, yet rarefied podcast that history may decide is the most important manifestation of the form, or may not, both inside and outside the film, both of and apart from the culture, confidently living the uncertainty principle and effectively buying Schrodinger a second cat, which you can cuddle with while listening to the show. Is that a Schrodinger's cat reference that you really just made? Yes, yes. At this point, you, the listener, might have noticed that there is a third technical issue, which makes the audio sound a little off. Um, I'm concerned because I'm seeing (laughs) the track recording. Like, it's recording. What is that, the content? It's recording on both at the same time. See, when I speak, why is it doing that? Do you have any idea? (laughs) Microphone, two stereo recording. Oh, you know what? Hold on. So we figured out the technical issue, and from here on, everything will sound like crystal clear water. Okay, now it's doing it the right way. Uh, I don't know what happened in the beginning. It was. <laughs> it might have been recording from my computer microphone. Yeah, which wouldn't be good. Huh. But hey, listen, this is uh, this is the risk we we run. Well, why don't we tape the whole thing and then we can go back? Yeah, and if we feel that there's something so great, then we can record it on the other end. Fantastic. Which we didn't really do, so. Okay. Um, anyway, Chris, I'm sorry. I stepped on your beautiful Schrodinger's cat intro. Yeah. <laughs> which I'm sure. Society's loss, I am sure. Many listeners will appreciate that. Well, I'm Jason. I'm Chris. And we are your hosts. And this is a podcast where we pick a movie. We each watch the movie on our own, and we do not do not communicate with each other our thoughts, feelings, yeah. sentiments, 
uh, rage-induced spirals with each other. We simply come together to record the podcast clean, and we let the chips fall where they may. Chris, before we get to that, I have a couple of viewer comments to share with you. Uh, one just hot off the presses. You know, we have a few super listeners, I would call them. Yeah. These are a handful of people that have been with the podcast from the beginning and enjoy ribbing, needling, uh, commenting, praising, and when required, criticizing. So on uh, the Facebook page for the show, which you can find on Facebook at Fullcast and Crew, uh, Sarah left the following message regarding your comments on uh, the favorite episode. Yes. Uh, regarding the film Jerry Maguire. Do you recall what you said about Jerry Maguire? I think I said, I'm not going to watch that. Well, Sarah said, <laughs> quote. The also being, I haven't seen it before, and I probably won't see it. Sarah says, future. quote, I can't respect anyone who just refuses to see Jerry Maguire. Get off your cultural high horse, end quote. <laughs> Do you have any response to that? Uh, it's just, you know, I haven't seen it before and there are so many other more, uh, interesting things. So many other things for you not to see that, that, <laughs> that, that, that are, that are going to take precedence. Look, until I've actually seen Aquaman, I sort of can't think about anything else. Well, she also mitigated that by commenting on the post we made about the favorite, indicating that the episode had dropped. You're familiar with the phrase? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pod has dropped. Like, New like my album did, yeah. Um, she mitigated that by commenting, Chris, lovely intro. Oh. So there you go. It's not all you. It's not all negative. That, I like that. Well, thank you very much. It's nice to be uh, noticed and appreciated. Sure, or at least noticed. It's a start. Okay, so um, Vice. Well, before we get to Vice, I yes. actually have a piece oh, of sorry. erota. No, no, no. This is uh, Chris, a this couple is weeks ago. not the had... place to read your erotic writing, your well, erotic fan fiction. I figure this is where I'll get... The biggest audience. Okay. So, for those of you familiar with Doctor Who and Alien, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> how how good would erotic <laughs> fan fiction where the Doctor uh, and a xenomorph uh, get it on? So we have xenomorph and Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> Chris has never met an audience he couldn't whittle down to nothing. Well, here's the last one. My uh, my piece of errata is actually referencing uh, the last correction of a piece of errata from a couple of weeks ago. Oh, really? So wait. I read the errata that was referring to something you had said. And then I also said that I realized I had said that there were 210 countries in the world. I corrected it to say there are 195. <laughs> and you were wrong about that. And I was wrong about that correction. But actually now I can't remember what was the actual, whether it was, I said it was 195 and it's actually 185. Or if I said it was 185 and it's actually 195. You know what? I can convincingly say nobody gives a shit. <laughs> Um, I have a piece of errata as well. I offhandedly mentioned in a discussion we had about Melvin and Howard yes. and Jason Robards that I thought that that might have been one of Robards' last roles, which of course is ridiculous because he lived to 2000, and I think that movie came out in 1980. Yeah, his last role of any worth. It's not his I last mean, role in any Howard Hughes-related film is what I meant to say. <laughs> Okay. You sure he didn't have a cameo in the hoax? Well, or that, the that was way that was well after 2000, wasn't it? I was just trying to think of other Howard Hughes related. The hoax uh, is 2006. Oh, was that late? So I don't believe he would have made a cameo, although with technology being what it is, <laughs> um, who knows? And okay, listen, well, talent like that just will never die. Speaking of talent or the lack thereof, we are here to discuss Adam McKay's new film, Vice. Which is about I, I you know what, Chris? You can, you, <laughs> please handle whatever, the heavy lifting. I can't even bother to speak about it. Please. Whatever little suspense there might have I know, been, I just uh, suspense. You, 
Just, I don't <laughs> even want to read the description. Can you do it? Uh, sure. Let me. Fucking piece of shit. Wow. <laughs> Not Chris, the movie. I'm referring to the movie. Well, you know, but. I don't know why it, it angers me when things are bad. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. Well, I mean, listen. You look, don't that's, seem that's flapped. Understandable. You don't seem flapped by a bad. It doesn't offend you or bother you. You don't get worked up. Uh, well, I guess it, I don't think we've seen, to my mind, anything that has been bad in the kind of way that would bother me Ishtar? in that way. No, 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 no. <laughs> First, let me tell, for anybody who doesn't know what the heck we're talking about, which is probably everybody, we are talking about Adam and McKay's ourselves. Vice, the story of Dick Cheney, as played by Christian Bale, an unassuming bureaucratic Washington insider who quietly wielded immense power as vice president to George W. Bush, reshaping the country and the globe in ways that we still feel today. That's the IMDb description. Mm -hmm. uh, Adam McKay, of course, is a well-known comedy filmmaker. His feature film debut was Anchorman, the story of Ron Burgundy. So, of course, very qualified to tell a naughty political story <laughs> of American history. He did, a, get it. He did a few, uh, <laughs> a few comedies with Will Ferrell specifically, uh, made his name. But then in 2015 uh, was the big short, which really marked a change in, uh, in his career. Up until then, it had been mostly Will Ferrell comedies and uh, depending on your taste, but a certain type of comedy. But with the big short, he married social consciousness and a consciousness of world-changing events. He told it in his comedic way and and it ended up being a huge success. Was it a huge success? Uh, financially, I think, you know, people did not expect it to do as well that it was. It did get an Academy Award for Best Screenplay, and True. I believe he was nominated for Best Director. Yeah. Vice, I think, follows, uh, is sort of the next film in that trajectory. It is not just a biography of Dick Cheney, but also an analysis of our political culture and tries to use his comedic techniques to tell um, a more important story. It's also a film that was produced by Annapurna, which we've yes. mentioned several times. That's right. Annapurna gave Adam McKay $60 million to make Vice. And he certainly spent all of that money. <laughs> it's all up there on the screen. This, it's, it's very stylized, I would say, throughout. There's tremendous. I saw the money on the screen. To what end and in support of what philosophy, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge Christian Bale fan, going all the way back to Empire of the Sun when he was a child actor. So I'm inclined to find something watchable and interesting in anything an actor of his capabilities puts on screen. So when I say there was really absolutely nothing of interest on the screen for over two hours last night, even with Christian Bale. I mean, if you think gaining weight is fascinating to look at on screen, that's a great performance, I suppose. But other than that, it's one dimensional, it's flat, it's unemotional, it's unengaged, it's uninspired, it's not connected to anything that's going on in any kind of a story. It's just an unwatchable mess. Wow. Um, well, uh, that's it, folks. Uh, so <laughs> we'll join you next time when we uh, shred Aquaman. No. Uh, no, we will not. No, I mean, honestly, Chris, I don't think I can, I don't think there's anything I would point to in this movie and say is well done or worth seeing. Not a performance, not a visual style. Mm -hmm. I mean, probably the most boring, flat 
two hours plus I spent in a movie theater all year. Wow. That again, those are those are strong words. I, I have to admit I didn't love the movie, though I think I can't imagine that I liked <laughs> that I didn't <laughs> like it more than you. I actually did think that Christian Bale's performance was worthwhile. We had mentioned before American Hustle, which yes. in some ways was a similar performance in that he put on some pounds. Well, only similar in that. But American Hustle was a much lighter movie and sure. it was, I think, more as tilted more towards towards comedy. And I think yeah. he was meant and his character was meant to be somebody who was sort of fun and kind of living on the edge as sort of right. anti-heroes. It, it's a good example of an otherwise not very good movie that is watchable for several of the performances in it. Yeah, but I, but I, have to, I didn't love it. And I was actually sort of surprised. And I remember, I think it came up in this, though I probably cut it out, that uh, that I actually didn't love Christian Bale in that because he is so, to my mind, such a heavy, soulful guy that the character's lightness and fun to me was dragged down by Christian Bale's Oh, see, I love when he's funny. Well, I mean, American Psycho? This, I mean, Christian Bale in American Psycho as a comedic actor? I haven't seen it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Well, then you I know just, what? Then I'm going to leap across the table and kill you. Wow, <laughs> there's, there's got to be an easier way. I'll just watch it with with Nail and I. You've never seen American Psycho, no? And I because I, I remember Wait, yesterday you claimed you'd seen with Nail and I. I have seen it. Oh, okay. I was you just said I'll like, watch it with with Nail and I because I'm planning on watching that. Okay, I think I said my yesterday that was, still stands <laughs> that I will I will get up and leave if you haven't actually seen with Nail and I. I have I, seen. I, with you're not Nail lying I. to me. I am not lying to you. I okay, because you just said. I know about I just a movie said, you haven't seen that you will see it with with Neil yeah, and I because I had already said yesterday that I was going You're to gonna watch it, it on okay. Christmas night okay. when the rest of my family. I can't was asleep. believe you haven't seen American Psycho. It's so wrong and funny and hilarious, and Christian Bale um, gives an incredible performance yeah. in it. Um, it's a it's it's so good. I mean, it's hilariously um, just dark and has so many quotable great scenes. Yeah. So he's great in that as a comedic actor. I like when he does comedic stuff. Um, but this, oh God, well, to, what's to the fucking mind, point? I, I, you know, you have to be able to tell me what the point is. Well, you Republicans know, are evil. When I okay, saw, that's not a take. When I saw the, uh, well, you see, when I saw it, you know, there was a Q and a afterward. You know, True. I, that's oh, how that's I right. Roll. I'd be and curious. So, uh, so, well, 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 first of all, when you saw it, um, you saw it in a screening room, and yeah. Adam McKay was there. Yes. Who else was there? Producer or just Adam McKay? Uh, he did mention a few of the producers. Okay. You but know, there was like Christian Bale wasn't there. But Christian Bale was no. Okay. But he was interviewed by Ira Glass. So it was a very so, boy talking about know, white guy nerd heaven. Uh, yeah. Could you tell in the room how the movie played to the audience? Yeah. I don't think it played particularly well. Really? Did it get a standing ovation at no, the end? No, not at all. Really? Interesting. And it was actually very quiet. I think I probably laughed the most, uh, and I think I, and I remember laughing <laughs> I just twice. I wish I was in the room to hear Chris's braying laughter coming from the far balcony. Well, rose. I know exactly what it was. It was, uh, <laughs> there's a running joke in the film of, do I have to say spoiler when referring to matters of public record which made national news? Dick Cheney constantly having heart attacks. Yes, and you thought and that was hilarious. I think there was one in particular. I think it was when he the election goes their way. Yes. And he's like, listen, I'm sorry, everybody. But I got to go to the hospital. I got to go to the hospital. <laughs> That's yeah, I mean, if you think that a guy having multiple heart attacks is the height of comedy and character development, this is a movie for well, you. Listen, I wouldn't say it's the height of it, but it was uh, that to me was the, the funniest, the most successful bit And what of did Ira Glass have to say? So the film ends and- uh, it was not a standing ovation. I think there was applause. You know, people seemed to enjoy it. But I 
I guess with screenings like this, the few times that I've been to them, it's usually a very friendly crowd. And this is certainly part of an awards campaign. For viewers who don't know, Chris is talking about going to a screening that's for people in the industry. And I guess you would expect that they would be like harder crowds in a way, but they're usually not. The people are usually very motivated to support and appreciate the film. And I would have to say, most times that I've gone, if the film is at all good and people know that the filmmakers are present as they often are for a panel, most times it gets a standing ovation. Yeah. Uh, I saw Mary Poppins in a screening, huge standing ovation before the movie even started. Yeah. I mean, people well, mentioned Mark Shaman and he got a standing ovation. And I like turned to my wife and I said, who's Mark Shaman? Like I'm not a Broadway, <laughs> like he got a standing, just yeah. his, his name got a standing ovation. So I'm fascinated to hear that yeah. last night, how it kind of played. Cause this would strike me as, I'm fascinated when a movie like this plays and I would think that the response would be sort of muted and then the director kind of comes out. Does he think it's a masterwork or what does he think? Well, uh, like you said, the response was kind of muted. Except for you jumping up and giving a huge rousing standing ovation. Love the heart attack stuff, man. I I laughed when it happened. I I felt (laughs) I had done my bit. I was like, the rest of you are not pulling your weight. So Ira Glass sits down with him. Did Ira he Glass dance is, out onto the stage? He didn't dance out onto oh, the stage. Okay. You know, uh, do you mean Ira Was Glass? Was it jarring to see Ira Glass in person? Yeah, I've actually seen him Did in you person close before. Your eye? Uh, see, I've never seen him in person. I mean, I know what he looks like, but yeah. it would be weird to me to hear him coming from a, a body. I, I've been at a party or two with him. You've been I saw at a party at with Ira Glass? Yeah. What? Yeah, when, when? I lived in when I lived in Chicago. See, when, I knew you were from Chicago. <laughs> when I went to school <laughs> in Chicago, I lived everywhere. Uh, wait, wait, I wait. Knew people who knew him. When you were in college in Chicago in what, the 90s? Yeah. And you knew Ira Glass then? I, I didn't say that I knew. I said I was at parties where he was at. And was he was he already the host of This American Life? Yeah. Otherwise, nobody would have been like, that's Ira. They would, oh because gosh. he was already the host of This American Life. So when It I, was not the huge phenomenon that it was now. When I think of this party, I think of it being exactly like a scene from the film, Can You Ever Forgive Me? <laughs> right? A lot of guys with round glasses. <laughs> And goatees, right? Uh, yeah, turtlenecks. Erudite uh, conversation, <laughs> turtlenecks, <laughs> cheese plates. Have you had conversations with Ira Glass? Yeah, I think I, I If mean, Ira I think Glass I, saw you, would he say, hey, Chris? No, he would not. But not only was I, but I also went to see him speak once um, about making radio stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so I've seen him around. So all of, okay. <laughs> all of, I was not, you know, I was already demystified with him. Okay. If anything, Adam McKay, who I'd heard interviewed on the radio, I'd, yeah. I'd, but I'd never. Adam McKay is a very large, imposing man. He is a large, imposing man. Uh, but he's, when he came out, you could tell he is very excited and very passionate about this mm-hmm. movie. And w- I don't think that the movie works. And I think part of the reason why it doesn't work is because of his passion. Mm. If you have ever, and I hope now is not one of those times, have been talking to somebody who is very excited about somebody and wants to convince you how important it is. And they're just almost shaking you and sort of, and won't get, won't let you speak and just sort of hectoring you. And instead of getting you more excited, that energy kind of puts you off and pushes Mm -hmm. you back. That's how this this movie felt to me. I think that's a very good description of it. It felt to me like Adam McKay smoked a lot of pot, read a couple great books, and went on a jag that lasted for several years and included finding someone to give him $60 million to bring that jag to life. It's someone's party take on Dick Cheney writ large at a cost of $60 million. I mean, uh, you know- With a lot of movie stars in it. I mean, I'm sure there's something to, you know, in the Q&A, 
started to be jumping around, but in the Q&A, he did say that one of the things that he thought was where he sprung from, and that was in the back of his mind throughout this whole thing, was that it's a love story between he and Lynn Cheney. Since I'm recording and clarifying, between Dick and Lynn Cheney, not Adam McKay and Lynn Cheney. That it was his love for her, and you know the, the movie begins with him as sort of a uh, layabout, and he gets in trouble, and she gets him out of the drunk tank, and she lectures him about, like, if you're not going to be, like, a good husband, like, I, I'm through with you. Uh-huh. And he decides in that moment to sort of change his ways. And then from, and then, and I think the movie posits, according to Adam McKay, that that is the most important thing, and that everything is sort of done in relation to that. To me, that's not like a party take so much as a- That's an excuse that he tells himself in order to eviscerate the guy the way he does in the movie. I don't know. You know, that's just a convenient party trick to bring out to to to, to, to tamp down. Like I'd have more respect if he just came out and said like, I think Dick Cheney is the most evil human being that ever lived. And I wanted to make a movie that exposed that. But he didn't even do that. And that does feel like what his take is on yeah. Dick Cheney. But the evidence is not presented in the film in any convincing way. Like when you have a movie like this about real people and real world events, I would like to see that stuff marshaled without so much directorial hand, like you're saying. Yeah. It's like he's taking your head and slamming it onto the page and saying like, look, look, look at look at what he did. And like to your point, it's not convincing as a result. I don't think I'd dismiss his take as being like um. Like, I think he believes it. I think this- Oh, I think he believes but it. But I think it's also the problem, as uh, my brother once said, it's not so much that history is written by the winners, it's that history is written by writers. This is a case where that is a problem. Part of the thesis of the movie, it comes out at the very beginning, Dick Cheney is uh, one of the most private, unknowable people mm -hmm. in modern history, let's say. So that's, it's an interesting task to try to explicate him. But the problem is, when you're somebody who is a writer within Hollywood who- is conscious of structure. I think you can convince yourself that there is one key that interprets all the events and that interprets everything about the character. And I think that that's the mistake that was made with this film was it was saying like, ah, th either this, this love story is the key. If I look at everything through that lens, then it all kind of makes sense. And not just with somebody who is as unknowable as Dick Cheney, but real life. There is so much chaos and whimsy and just sort of emotional- It's overstuffed. Reactions that I think to try to impose the kind of narrative that he does, it's such a sprawling narrative that brings in so much information and so many things <laughs> that it, it it starts to feel artificial and it, and it takes away from the real truth, which is that some of these things are bigger than they seem. Some of them are smaller than they seem, but to try to put it in a well-ordered uh, world is, is folly. Full Cast and Crew is brought to you by the award-winning comedy series Philly Court. It's like a fake Judge Judy, but if way more of the cases involved Percocet and illegal fireworks. Philly Court Season 2, premiering now on Facebook. Just like and follow Chuckler Comedy on Facebook for the latest episodes. Philly Court did not actually win any awards, my dude, but the guys in Vinny's called it awesome, except for Brian Welsh, who's a fucking dumbass anyways, and I'm going to beat his ass for stealing my twisted tees. You know, did you see um, Errol Morris's film, The Fog of War, about yeah. Robert McNamara? Yes. You know, there's the similarities are you have a central character whose personality is not, uh, you know, uh, effusive, is not overwrought. He's not a character. He's not someone you go like, 
like other Republican figures that people have made documentary or other movies about, like Lee Atwater. So he's a colorful figure. Mm-hmm. So when you see a documentary about him, it's profane. It's it's funny. It's all these types of things. He's a character, and they're showing that. You know, McNamara is cerebral and sort of introspective, and he's a wonk. Yet, what I thought Errol Morris did really well in that documentary was he did the opposite of what Adam McKay is doing. Of course, one's a documentary and one's a, one's a fictional film. But he sort of, he lets McNamara do his own hanging. Mm-hmm. Um, he lets McNamara's own thought process damn him in the places where it needed to damn him. And in, and in doing so, and in having it come from the subject itself, it had a profundity and a power, mm-hmm. I thought. Whereas in this... It's like the central thing. If you're going to write a piece of drama and you're like, my my lead guy is a mumbling, monosyllabic creature of the swamp. I mean, he's just a swamp creature who crawled out and attached himself like a leech to Republican politics and stayed there for 40, 50 years. And as such, he moved up the ladder and he had a lot of jobs. And the consequences that Adam McKay ascribes to him are both so shorthand as to not even register and so over the top and ridiculous as to be unbelievable. Somewhere in the middle there would have been a different type of movie that maybe would have been more damning, more convincing. Mm -hmm. But it's just, I just didn't get the point. And I'm not sure there was one. Like, it's a great trailer. Like, even I. And I didn't really like um, The Big Short. I loved the book. Mm -hmm. I thought The Big Short had enough in it. I loved, as we've talked about before, I loved many things about it. But I didn't like some of the trickery and all the camera stuff that was going on. And in this, there was some of that too. The Jesse Plemons voiceover, um, who turns out to be the heart donor. Um, Spoiler. Yeah, I'm not even worried worried about it. I'm not even worried about it. Spoiler for literally the one piece of drama and or surprise. Was that drama to you? I mean... I, like, I will admit that that was surprising that that's who it was. We but even s- that is so befuddled. It's like we, we see this guy and he's like, you'll find out later. And then like at one point he's in the Iraq war or the other Iraq or And I'm sort of like, oh, wow, actually, this is going to be kind of poignant. Someone whose voice we've gotten to hear is going to be killed as a direct result of yeah. this guy's actions. But that's not even what happens. He just gets hit by a van while jogging. And then his heart gets donated to Dick Cheney. So yeah. I don't know. But anyway, my point was that when I saw the trailer for this movie, we were talking about trailers uh, yesterday when we taped. um, Can you forgive me? Can you ever forgive forgive me? me? I was into this trailer. What do you say? I want you to be my VP. I want you. You're my vice. Well, George, I. uh, I'm the CEO of a large company. I have been Secretary of Defense, and I have been White House Chief of Staff. The Vice Presidency is a mostly symbolic job. Uh-huh. However, if we came to a uh, different understanding, I can handle the more mundane jobs, overseeing bureaucracy, military, energy, and uh, foreign policy. Yeah, right. I like that. The choice of the song, the graphics, the cutout, like the the snippets, the performance of George W. that we saw from Sam Rockwell, the little bits of it. I was like, that looks pretty fucking good. Yeah. 
Um, however, great trailer, bad movie. I'm sort of hung up on Adam McKay as a comedian who wants to say something serious. Which is great. Which No, which is great. But but here is a situation where he's sort of pulled in both ways and it, and it doesn't quite work because all of the reviews that I had seen, I, not that I read them, but saw headlines for at least in the days leading up to seeing <laughs> how, it. How 2018 of you. Well, I mean, you know, but I could, you know, in looking at other things, I couldn't help but miss. You got a busy podcasting schedule, man. You don't got time to read actual articles. Well, you know, I didn't. It's more that I didn't want to spoil it. I did not want my emotional reaction to be. uh, Oh, I see. To be tainted by somebody else's review, but I couldn't help but see the headline Mm. that would keep referring to it as a comedy. And so I came in sort of expecting more overt comedy. Uh, And to my mind, it didn't work. And I do think that, like you said, that's something that could be great to use all of the skills he has as a comedic director to make the point that he is obviously so passionate about. Like, as an example, The Death of Stalin, the Armando Iannucci film, you know, that uses comedy to great effect to make very similar political points about the nature of political administrations and government styles. And that's not, to me, also, that's not a great film. It doesn't really work, but the performances are great. The writing is so good. And to your point, it's, it's wholly a comedic effort. Yeah. And as such- it's so much more watchable and enjoyable than this, which kind of doesn't know what it wants to be. I thought the best moment of the whole film was when about 45 minutes in, the movie ends and the credits roll. Yeah. And it's like Dick and Lynn Cheney move to wherever and raise golden retrievers. And it's sort of like, this is one version of what history could have been. Yeah. I was so grateful and glad when I saw that. (laughs) It's over. I was like, sweet. (laughs) And then I realized, and then there was another part where like the, there was another thing. Oh, after the Shakespeare thing, uh-huh. the shake, the, which you, well, you don't find Shakespeare erotic. Uh, yeah. I don't find a like monosyllabic, sweaty Christian Bale huffing and puffing in erotic ecstasy at the recitation of faux Shakespeare verse erotic. No. Wow. That's, and then anyway, the that's- light. Too bad. Then the light switch flicked off again, and it was like another moment where it was like another fake ending. Where yeah. I was like, whew. <laughs> well, <laughs> fool me once. I actually did like that scene. I didn't find it quite as erotic. That's not as, even a real Shakespeare, you know, by the way. Yeah. No, I could tell. Okay. I, I just didn't tell. know if you didn't know that or not. Uh, I wish that he was a little bit less earnest and did not <laughs> care so much. because What does he care about? What did well, he say? You know, I was say? What did he say last So night? I wish he didn't care so much about what he was getting at, which I'll get to in a second. And he did focus on like, okay, here's this inscrutable character. Let's try to see him this way. If we look at it as a Shakespeare thing or the sort of sure. flirting with multiple genres, like I wish there was more of that yeah. and getting rid of the theses that he comes to the end. Because I think the theses were neither so um, interesting nor it's some funny. of the things that he was saying. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, it's funny how close theses and feces can be in a film. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's, that is a very, <laughs> that'll be our, our those, first t-shirt. Those, those two are close um, in this movie particularly. So yeah, there's, there's his monologue to the camera, which- uh, Cheney's? I, Cheney's. Yeah. Which I, I don't think works, again, because it undercuts- Are you talking about the very end? The, like, yeah. Oh, when he's like, when he's basically- when he He's is implicating being, you, the viewer, in there are two things where he, where Adam McKay implicates you, the viewer. Yeah. There's where uh, Dick Cheney turns. He's supposedly being interviewed, and then turns yes. to us, which is a perfectly nice Hackneyed. effect. I did not. 
I did not think it worked here, not because of Christian Bale's performance. It just did not seem appropriate because if, again, the whole thing is like, we don't quite understand this person. <laughs> yeah. And then to say like, oh, well, you don't, here's the insight that you've been missing this whole time. I can just do the speech from A Few Good Men, which is effectively what he says. What, yes. Uh, or by the way, I would have preferred to be lectured at by the Dick Cheney character through the whole movie and yeah. explain to me what the hell's going on. Exactly. If you're going to break the wall. Having that be the sort of that final thing, it was neither here nor there. And again, yeah. it, perhaps if it had an insight that was different, you know, maybe it would work better. But then there's sort of a mid credit sequence, which I actually thought was awful. <laughs> Wait, that's what I was talking about, right? Where they, where where they, they go the- back to the focus group. Oh, yes. And the focus, the focus group, group stuff did not work at all. I don't know what the point of, what's the point of that? I, you know, I it guess- It was presented so, it was so assured of its devastation. Like I, at one point they're trying out different phrases for things. And what's the one phrase that has something to do with the, with, oh, it's like, what if we called it a death tax? Yeah, and Everybody right. raises their hand. And I was so confused. Like, wait, they like that it's called the death tax? Well, the Republicans want this tax to be demonized. Oh, okay. And as right. the estate tax, people are like, well, that's, you know, that sounds rich okay. That's sure. okay. Yeah. But it's like, if we were to call it a death tax, wouldn't it be terrible? It's so dumb. Um, yeah, you know, to me, you know, as a NPR listener, I'd heard, <laughs> heard all that stuff before, but they come back to that focus group. So many times. In a thing where then they have like, um, the liberal versus the conservative yes. and they somebody punches and then somebody says like, oh boy, I can't see what way it's going to be on the housewives or something like that. Which to me is so, especially for a yeah. person who makes his career making popular cinema and popular comedy, that kind of judgmentalism is, it's sort of not his place to say something like that, which comes across as really patronizing as sort of biting the hand that feeds him. But also I think he's really shallow and, um, and, just well, I, as shallow, frankly, as the sort of propagandistic things that the Republicans and particularly Cheney go through and the sort of emptiness of their rhetoric, like all of which I believe. But I don't think that this is any better to say like you Americans who are having trouble enough keeping food on the table or getting a job or have all sorts of other stresses. You're, you're, you who are sitting here watching my movie, you're not spending enough time reading the paper and, and marching and I taking things seriously. I did see one take that sort of said maybe he was being self-referential and 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 saying like, well, he's, a, he's winkingly acknowledging acknowledging that, you know, I'm the guy that made uh, Anchorman yeah. and and I'm lecturing you in this way. Who knows which is true? Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit more what you're saying than what that take was saying. Yeah. But yes, you're right. The end when Cheney turns to the camera and basically says, I did the job you elected me to do, which like many things in this movie is both true and has some potential insight, but is delivered in, it's it's like too little too late by that point in, yeah. in the, in where we are in the movie. And I also think like, there's a thing now, which is like liberal cinema, mm-hmm. of which this is an example. Um, and I saw a take um, from a review that I thought was was kind of spot on, not being a liberal myself, you know, being more, I, I look askance equally at really anyone and anything. Um, I'm always looking to figure out where anything is full of shit, mm-hmm. regardless of where it's coming from. So- I am equally contemptuous of both liberal Democrats and evil Republicans in both 
the reality of them and government, which I think is just such, is such a ridiculous self-supporting separation of money and greed and ambition and all of these things, regardless of whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. Um, but I saw one, that, one, one review that said, what Vice says and how it says it will have half its audience nodding in angry, contemptuous agreement and the other half calling it a liberal smear. In other words, it's like everything else in the culture right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that divide is what we're living in. It's like a chasm. And I'm way more interested in the thing that shows the messy middle. Mm -hmm, This, to me, mm -hmm. gives you a demonic characterization. And as such, it's I just dismiss it because it's like I'm not being approached with anything that has the feeling of reality. And I understand that the movie is pitched in a... It's not pitched in an alternative reality, but it is pitched enough in the sense that it believes that it's telling you what it thinks really happened. Mm -hmm. Whereas if the movie, like to your earlier point, if the movie was pitched more fantastically, I would be more receptive to it. But when you're going to pitch it to me as if like you've done your homework, but you really haven't, that's where I start to have a problem. No, that's a good point. And I think this is echoing, but a different way of exactly what you just said. So listeners tune out. Oh, hey, you know, look. I, Dick Cheney made a whole career out of that, Chris. <laughs> I, I think he got that job with Rumsfeld. I actually thought the beginning stuff of him and Rumsfeld was pretty interesting. And I don't think that he comes across as that much of a monster no. in the sense that, you know, he comes across sort of like a guy who doesn't really know what he's doing, but finds a sort of avenue. And instead of worrying about the beliefs, worries about the acquisition of power for its own sake and it because, becomes self-justifying. And by the end, there's all sorts of horrible things linked to that. But I actually thought the thing of somebody who was kind of an empty vessel sort of looking for purpose and how kind of stumbled into becoming yes. one of the most powerful people in the world – uh, you know, there's there's something interesting in that, and I and I don't think he's really demonized. There are certainly places where he is, but as a whole, I don't know that he's. Well, demonized Chris, that he has much a video him. montage where every bad thing that has befallen humanity is essentially linked to Dick Cheney. Yeah. I mean, he has but, like, like deforestation, the the pollution in the oceans, militarization. I mean, another thing I didn't really like, like the 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 scene of like the the jaguar chasing its prey or something like the wolf stalking. So like he uses a lot of this stock footage around yeah. those times. And also I thought it was frankly kind of gross and inappropriate to use the nine 11 footage in service of this movie. It just, I don't know, maybe I'm being too, too about it, but that's one of the first things you see in the movie. Mm-hmm. And in the way that scene is played, the voiceover tells us that and asks us to believe that in that moment, when he was in the room, when they were watching the towers come down, the voiceover actually says that Cheney sat there in the room and saw an opportunity. Mm-hmm. The movie posits that he sat in that c- command center, watching the towers come down and saw an opportunity, as if in that moment he said to himself, ooh, I'm going to make a shit ton of money and I'm going to be able to start wars all around the world on the heels of this event. And even as I might say that Bush et al. fucked up the response to 9-11 on such a catastrophic and globally significant scale, even though I would say that and believe that, that strikes me as kind of gross and underhanded to posit that in the moment. I guess to me- That moment transcends politics to me. No, I hear you. But but the opportunity that I thought that he saw- was his sincere belief in the unitary executive. But that's such bullshit. The unitary executive thing that he makes such a huge deal about, 
that's not that big of a deal. That's not something that's that's new or that was not explored prior. It's not that Dick Cheney was like the arbiter of that in any way. And I guess that's why I, I didn't think of him as a monster because I didn't see him, his choices as being because he wanted to make a lot of money or because he wanted to start wars for the sake of starting wars. But he was somebody, a small C conservative and wanting to consolidate power, thinking that an executive standing on the wall like the few good men guy, like the mm-hmm. uh, final monologue talks about, that that he does believe that, look, people want a leader. And if I consolidate the power under this, being a leader, I can be the best for this country. Like, that, that's yeah. how I took it. You know, again, maybe I'm But I just think that in that, that moment, in the real-time moment of watching that unfold, which is how the scene is presented, they're watching the planes hit the towers on the screen. And they're, and they're watching them come down. The movie actually says to you, the viewer, that in that moment, he was not a human being watching right. a tragedy. He was an opportunist who was scheming. That's what the movie wants you to think. I'm more receptive to your point if you go about it a little mm-hmm. bit less ham-handedly. That's all. Mm-hmm. I think Dick Cheney is both a creature of the swamp that's been in Republican politics for 50 years and is also someone who has a certain worldview that is worthy of critiquing and saying, well, geez, you know, these lines between the Halliburton and the government and all of these types of things, those are worthwhile things to explore. And I like to read a lot of business books and things of that sort that that talk about big business in this sense. It's always more fascinating. The reality is more messy. It's more complicated. It's more human in an ironic way than you would think when you're reading the story of a corporation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For example, Uh, there's a great book that came out about Exxon and Rex Tillerson just before Trump got elected and Tillerson became Secretary of State. This was a book about a subject I wasn't really, I don't really know anything about, wasn't really that fascinated by, but the author of the book did a great job showing me how involved myself I am in the global oil trade and reliant upon it and how some of the easy takes that even I would have saying, you know, oh, ExxonMobil is evil and, you know, they they dump gallons and, gall- you know, hundreds of millions of gallons of oil and pollute the oceans, all this stuff. It's, it's a lot more complicated than that. And in its complication, you're you're brought closer to something that's an everyday part of our lives in a way that really made me think. And that's what I respond to. In this movie, I'm given sort of this, like, I think the strength of presenting someone as a fully formed three-dimensional person. And that just didn't feel like anybody in this movie was presented that way. Yeah. And also- it really bothered me that Bill Camp doesn't look anything at all like um, Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford, even towards the end. No, come on, you can't get me someone who looks better than Gerald like that. No, I, I mean, love I, Bill Camp. I, I was after. No, I know. I was just about to say like I'll but watch Bill else, Camp do anything, but yes, that but it was, was kind of weird. Everyone else looks so much like the person they're playing. Tell you that, what, that was that, a little jarring. Steve Carell. <laughs> Steve Carell looked exactly like. Well, at, at first I was like, oh, I don't know. This is a little broad. I and again, this is what well, like, when he, when he's like, hey, what, the laughing what, what do you scene. believe? I was like, eh, it's a little, that, it's a I little a reaction like you that yeah. it's like, oh, come on. Like give it, give it really a little cackle something. behind closed doors. But yeah. by the end, when he was like old man Rumsfeld in the, uh, Abu Ghraib, you know, oh, when he Bush was kicked years, out, that was, yeah. that was fantastic. I thought, I mean, everybody looked frighteningly like yeah. the people they were portraying. Um, and in that sense, you know, the makeup was incredible, but <laughs> Yeah. I don't know that there's that much more to go into with it. You know, there are, there are moments, not. scenes that are, that I, again, I, I thought were okay, but yes, it ultimately didn't, to my mind, it's earnestness got in its own way. Yes. Um, 
But it did make me think about something else, which maybe will be of interest to you, and especially considering the last couple of movies that we've talked about. Did you happen to see the headline about this, the 2018 Blacklist? That's the best unproduced screenplays in Hollywood? Yes. I, I saw the headline, I, much like you, since it's 2018, I saw the headline <laughs> and did not read the article. Well, uh, for- Just doing my part. Th- thank, thank you very much. It, uh, we want to stay on brand, which is <laughs> not knowing stuff. So in 2017, there was a headline that said, 2017 biopics uh, d- dominated the blacklist. In 2017? 2017. 2017. Okay. 2018. What dominate? Biopics dominate 2018 blacks, oh, they do. blacklist scripts. Biopics. Biopics so, are having a moment. I think that there's something very well, who interesting, are the, and I wonder who about Who are the biopics that, that are on the Blacklist 2018? Oh, Since you, know. you read the article, yeah. you should be able to recall instantaneously. Well, instantaneously Rattle them off But I do have viewers. some of them. Uh, Topping the list with 38 votes is Alyssa Karasik's Frat Boy Genius, about a disgruntled employee of Snapchat telling the story of the rise of her former Stanford classmate, preeminent douchebag, and current boss, Evan Spiegel. Mm. Zach Balin's King Richard, which looks at the hard-nosed and uncompromising father of tennis prodigies Venus and Serena Williams. Okay. There's a biopic of Drudge. <laughs> biopic uh, of Drudge. <laughs> Starring a fedora. Further down are biopics about uh, biopics about sports reporter AJ Delario, astronaut oh, Sally God. Ride, media luminary Wendy Dang, <laughs> the uh, wife of- Yes, um, Rupert, Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch, former wife. Kobe Bryant, Tiger Woods, Sharon Osbourne, fictional. Vanilla Ice, Samuel Jesus. L. Jackson, and Colonel Custer. I don't know if that's <laughs> I don't know if that's Custer's last. Wait, name. it must Custer? have been Colonel Mustard. <laughs> you must that have read that. Pay to see that. I would watch. Did you know? The, I think Clue the musical just opened somewhere. That's not true. Please tell me that's not true. Yeah. I can't find whatever article or news story I was referring to on the day we recorded, but a Clue the Musical did open off-Broadway in 1997. A rewritten show, renamed Clue on Stage, premiered at the Cape Playhouse in the summer of 2018 and is supposed to be touring the country in 2019 and 2020. Cast and tour dates have not as yet been announced. Note to all playwrights, to all Broadway book writers, blank the musical is canceled. Jason, you're too late. What do you mean? So, you know, I'm a Hollywood insider uh, and a Broadway insider, so I shouldn't be telling you this. Okay. You know, you guys a friend of mine was telling me that that there was like, there was a, a company that they had heard about that literally handles a lot of like- Blank the musicals? Well, more of like properties of uh-huh. like television like, and things like that, that are trying to like- And they're the one like, hey, you guys think about ever doing Clue the musical? Yeah. So what do you- Mustard the musical? I got fidget spinner. You want a fidget spinner? Make a fidget oh, spinner. God. <laughs> so that there's, that that is an active trend that people are trying to do. Uh, I know there was Family Ties. There was a play based on uh, Family no, Ties. Stop. Everyone stop. Anyway. Um, so. Just don't do it. I, I think that it's particularly interesting that right now that we are looking back to create these narratives out, out of history. Well, to be fair, this is a list of unproduced screenplays that whoever does the blacklist is saying, these are the best of the unproduced screenplays that didn't get made by Hollywood. True. True. I don't think anybody wants to watch a feature film about Evan Spiegel and the founding of Snapchat. I don't know. Listen, Give you, you like Shattered Glass. Yeah, but Shattered you know, Glass has a, it has a central human failing. Look, I, I mean, I don't know what Evan, whatever Spiegel's done or not done with Snapchat. He, he invented a stupid social media platform. You know, but there Let's might be an argument. Let's not elevate that to a monumental accomplishment like Listen, is it, landing a man on the moon. <sighs> 
but look, but yeah, First Man, that was a, that was a biopic. We talked about uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me yesterday. The Mule was based on a true story. I think that there's yes. some there is something very now about this desire to look back at history and and not just to tell it with any sort of sense of objectivity, but to try to tell a story, to try to refashion history mm. along the kind of narratives that that we are looking for. Well, or you could less charitably say they're trying to stuff history into a round hole of their own describing. That's a, that is another, yeah, that's a, a, absolutely potentially true. Full cast and crew is brought to you by Behemoth from Monkey Brain Comics. Behemoth is the dirty dozen meets the fly with little Spider-Man thrown in. Kids are turning into monsters and the government steps in to keep things quiet. Some are never heard from again, but others are forced on suicide missions on behalf of a world that hates them as part of Project Behemoth. Find it on monkeybraincomics.com or Comixology today. Would you like to segue to uh, our new segment of me reading you the entertainment news headlines? <laughs> Absolutely. I've got some good ones for you today. Fantastic. Headlines. Here's the first yes. one, Chris. C'est magnifique. How to look French when you're not. <laughs> you had me at c'est magnifique. As we've discussed before, you already own a beret. I, yeah. And I you wear one berets. unironically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there any tips that it has? Like, I know the baguette, the mustache, the beret, like anything well, else? Well, I didn't read, I didn't go in depth to read the article. But what I found most <laughs> fascinating about it was that you'll never in a million years guess what publication that ridiculous <laughs> clickbait title appeared in. Uh, the Financial Times? Close. It was The Guardian. <laughs> and you know when you go online on The Guardian and you start to read an article and then a big banner pops up yes. that basically asks you for money to support this brilliant, insightful content that you're getting nowhere else but The Guardian. Did they have the stones to actually put that banner yes, on this article? Yes, they did. <laughs> so, I, so I clicked on this thing and then I guess they said like, hey, if you, you're reading something that not a lot of newspapers would bring to you, we're The Guardian. They should take a different tack with that Say one. Say magnifique. Guy. How to look French when you're not. Blackmail people, be like, do you want people to know that you actually clicked that was on this? You lose. <laughs> the next one, Wendy Williams apologizes for slurring words, blames painkillers. Story checks out. <laughs> I mean, I've been on painkillers before. This is a story where, I, you know, Wendy Williams every year has to have one episode of her show where apparently she either falls down <laughs> or is under the influence of some type of narcotics. And apparently on yesterday's, yes, on yesterday's show, uh, she had some trouble delivering the introduction to a segment about a hip hop act. <laughs> um, and then afterwards, she wrote a overwrought apology on her Instagram page. And her apology referenced many things that she's been struggling with, such as a hairline fracture on her upper arm. I've never broken a bone or experienced a fracture in my life, she says in the key place where the fracture is and trying to scurry around and do too much, I'm now paying the price. She also says, I've never taken a pain medication in my life, and then in parentheses, except when I got snatched over 20 years ago. I don't know if that what refers that to a, yeah. a kidnapping or something. I, I don't know. Uh, she did that to power true. I'm all about my craft. I ride or die. I give 200%. I've got a <laughs> thyroid condition. Um, Needless to say, the performance was, you know, uh, blah, 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 blah. So basically, you know. Got it. Well, look, right uh, I'll take her at her word. Yeah. Um, Miley Cyrus turns Santa Baby into a feminist anthem. How do you do that? Well, you change the words. I <laughs> for starters. 
Um, I don't know how she did it, but I'm team Miley all the way. So whatever she does is good by me. Oh yeah. Love Miley. Really? Yeah. Uh, always or? Uh, I think she's a phenomenal talent. Uh, legacy artist. Yeah. Do you know the podcast? Are you going to promote another podcast again? I can cut this out. There's a podcast called Hit Parade produced by Slate. Uh, you'll love it. I'm going to forward you the episode about Miley Cyrus. I don't Miley have Cyrus. time to listen to someone else's podcast and neither do you. <laughs> okay. You know how like Keith Richards gets really pissed off when anyone else in the Rolling Stones wants to do side projects? Because he's fucking about the Rolling Stones. This I is what, didn't know You're that. in the Rolling that. Stones, Chris. You don't need to go listen to somebody else's what, podcast. Where you, how else am I going to steal good ideas? Anyway, moving on. Uh, Andy Cohen reveals he's expecting his first child via a surrogate. Good for him. Which is fantastic. I'm, I'm a like big Andy, Andy Cohen. Cohen fan. Me too. Um, well, I'm not a big, but I, I've watched him a couple times. Yes. And I loved it. Well, Andy Cohen is best friends with John Mayer. The, and I'm going to let that it? pregnant silence impl- <laughs> implicate you in your own. You have no idea who I'm talking about when I say John Mayer, do you? I think he's a singer. <laughs> right. And he dated Taylor Swift? Both of those things are technically correct. That's it. That's all I need. (laughs) John Mayer is now, uh, in addition to his own solo career, he's now the uh, lead guitarist for the current iteration of The Grateful Dead, Dead & Company. Oh, Which, as you know, I'm a huge- Yes, yes, yes. Huge Deadhead, huge Dead & Company fan. Andy Cohen is a Dead & Company super fan and longtime- 80s deadhead like myself. Well, I'm laughing because when you said when you started saying Andy Cohen is, I was like, I thought you were going to say that he was like the keyboardist now, but no, he's a no, he's, he's the a deadhead. He's the what? drummer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but anyway, he's expecting a shot, which I think is fantastic. That's great. Um, he's adding that to his life. Does, um, do you although know- I will say this as as someone who's in a family where we have two parents, whew, doing it on your own, major props. Uh, is he single? I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, this is one you'll like, Chris. I have, yeah. I have no idea okay. what this means, but I think you will, will respond eagerly. DC Universe's Doom Patrol arrives on February 15th. I'm very excited about that. Tell me what it that looks means. awesome. What does so, that mean? The Doom Patrol is, I actually don't know which was created for- <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Doom Patrol is a DC Comics team of like misfits and weirdos. It's the DC Comics version of X-Men. I don't Why know. does every DC Comics thing have to be a ripoff but, of something superior whoa, on the Marvel whoa, side? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think the Doom Patrol came out before the X-Men. Oh, okay. And they right. both have okay. like super smart leaders who are in wheelchairs, except- Seriously? The Doom Patrol, yeah, Niles Calder has a beard, unlike bald Professor X. The Doom Patrol first appeared in My Greatest Adventure in June of 1963, four months before X-Men number one, which came out in September 1963. Comic book enthusiasts love tracing influences and links and conspiracies about who ripped off whom, Uh, but the Doom Patrol was more likely influenced by the success of the Fantastic Four from 1961, which began the Marvel Age, which itself borrowed heavily from the Challengers of the Unknown from 1957, which was created by co-creator of both the Fantastic Four and the X-Men, Jack Kirby. So, but yeah, it's it's a uh, robot man, negative man, and Elastigirl, and it's a, it was a really weird. What about group Cyborg? Of well, Cyborg is added just for this uh, TV show. Cyborg was a Teen Oh, Titans this is a member. TV show. This is a t- on DC's All Acts, uh, whatever it's called, the DC Universe app. They've started creating content, including a Teen mm-hmm. Titans show and the Doom Patrol's their second uh, okay. show. So I'm excited. All right, next headline: See what happens if you don't water your Christmas tree. Yeah. The house catches on. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> You're gonna have to wait. A, it's a picture of it. <laughs> catching on fire. Let me see if I got any other good ones for you here. Oh, here's a good one. Beverly Hills 90210 reboot in the works with the OG cast 
and a surprising twist. Would you watch a reboot of Beverly Hills 90210 starring the original cast? I am more likely to watch the reboot with the original cast than the reboot that a couple years ago with a different cast. Did they do that? Yeah. I missed that. I don't think, I think My Mother the Car is the only show that hasn't had a reboot. (laughs) Yeah. Remember here at work a couple years ago, um, I don't know if you were involved in this, but I went pretty far down the road with an April Fool's prank. Um, For some of the listeners, we work at a production company, we make television shows, and I somehow in, I think it was uh, Alex, a coworker of ours, and I somehow came up with this together. I don't remember how it came. She may have came up with it herself. Um, We were going to issue a fake press release saying that we had secured the rights and we're going to reboot Mr. Ed, <laughs> right? And, um, but we were going to do it in sort of a very 2017 or 2018 kind of way. And it had some sort of like political spin on it. At the time we were working with the press, um, uh, press, I don't know what you call it, press agent, press it, yeah. PR person, and she wouldn't do it. She wouldn't, <laughs> she wouldn't draft the fake release. Uh, she was like, this is funny, but I can't put out a fake release. I was like, come on. It's April Fool's. Yeah, April Fool's. Um, any other good ones in here? Wow. Oh, here's a good one. Santa Claus visits school and dies in front of children. Oh. Sorry to bring you down. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> kind of a funny story, though. <laughs> I mean, Boys and girls. kids got to learn about it sometime. Here but... comes Santa. <laughs> you got to be careful. It doesn't when... say, was he attacked by the kids? No, um, I didn't. Let me click on it for you here now. A man, well, uh, it was a Russian man. He Ah, suffered a heart attack while performing his role as Father Christmas in front of kindergartners. He was feeling chest pains earlier in the day and had recently been in poor health. However, the professional actor, Chris, did not want to let the kids down by canceling. The show must go on. (laughs) However, by not canceling, he provided these children (laughs) with the greatest gift of all, a lifetime traumatic memory. That's called character development. So sometimes you actors should just stay home. It's like, you know what? You've got the flu. Feel free not to show yeah. up today. Like we got the understudy for a reason. Also, Chris, the last one I'm going to read you, an Oregon zoo otter known for slam dunking and masturbating died at age 20. I think yesterday we did a story about, uh, what was that? A, it was a thick otter. A thick, was it an otter or was it a platypus or a beaver? I what think was it was it? an otter. It was an otter too? Yeah. Wow, there's a lot of otters in the news today. I guess that PR agent, that's what happens. She took her integrity and left. Otters are having a moment. (laughs) Otters are having a moment. Anyway, those are some of the current news headlines. Headlines. Chris, Uh, do you have any rants and raves this week? uh, I don't. Okay. I mean, it's been raining a lot, but I can't really rant about that. Fascinating. Um, (laughs) I have a rave for you. Um, which actually references a podcast that we've taped, which we have not yet released. That guy, actor Donald Moffat, passed away and had his obit in the Times, I think, yesterday. Donald Moffat, you might remember from films like Clear and Present Danger. He also famously played uh, then-Senator Lyndon Johnson in The Right Stuff, mm-hmm. which I have a clip from, and I'd like to play oh, for you. thank you. It's called Sputnik. We know. Sit down. And as I was saying, whoever controls the high ground of space will control the world. The Roman Empire controlled the world because it could build roads. Later, the British Empire was dominant because it had ships. An air stage, we were powerful because we had airplanes. 
Now, the communists have established a foothold in outer space. Pretty soon they have damn space platforms up there to drop nuclear bombs on us, like rocks from a highway overpass. Now, how in the hell did they ever get ahead of us? All right, gentlemen, I think we're ready. Is there a, a loose plug over there anywhere? Oh, here it is. I'll get it. Anyway, that's a great <laughs> scene with Donald Moffat playing Lyndon Johnson in a spot-on yeah. impersonation and physical transformation. Philip Kaufman's The Right Stuff, one of my all-time favorite movies, stuffed with great performances. You heard a little Jeff Goldblum in there, a little Harry Shearer, and a great performance from Donald Moffat. He also has a really funny scene later in the movie when John Glenn's wife, who has a stutter and does not want to be paraded in front of all the cameras that are set up on her lawn, and uh, Lyndon Johnson is in a limousine in front of her house waiting for her to come out and talk to him. And she doesn't want to come out because she's embarrassed by her stutter. And she calls John Glenn, who's uh, played by Ed Harris, and explains the situation. And he listens and very famously and funnily is on her side and is like, you tell them, you don't have to, you're not leave, you don't have to do anything. And uh, Donald Moffat as Lyndon Johnson freaks out in a limousine and says, can't anyone wrangle a gosh dang housewife? <laughs> very funny. <laughs> and another great Donald Moffat clip, uh, which we should just play a little of since it does reference something that we have talked about in another podcast, which we're reserving for the next massive snowpocalypse. Yes. That is going to be our release date for yes. the So thing. mark your calendars. Get me out of here. Cut me loose. Cut me the hell. Come on, get me out of here. Come on, get me out of here. Cut me loose, damn it. I know you gentlemen have been through a lot. And when you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch! Oh, so, <laughs> so much. You know, it's great seeing that. I, I had forgotten the eerie wind sounds laid throughout almost all the interior scenes in the movie contributes yeah. to the sense of dread that the thing has. And Donald Moffat, you know... Also, huge Broadway guy. Yeah. I'm sure you can speak to all his many Broadway credits, Chris, as you just proclaimed yourself a Broadway insider. Yeah. This is very quickly Googling to try and be yeah. able to mention some, <laughs> some of his great performances, such as uh, he you was know, in, like, like Iceman Cometh on Broadway. I uh, Do you know who he played? The Iceman? Yeah, <laughs> you Cometh? Uh, Larry Slade. Uh, let's see. He played Larry Slade. Is that the main guy? I've never I seen Iceman Cometh, Chris. You're the Yeah, you don't want to sit through a four-hour play? <laughs> Actually, I would, but I mean, you're the Broadway guy. You're you're the play guy. You've, you've probably at least, you should have at least read it or seen it, no? No, I actually have not wow. seen it. Even though I do love He I played love Falstaff. Do you know who that is? Who, yeah, I sure do. He played Falstaff in Joe Papp's 87 production of Henry, have to do the thing with the Roman numerals. So the I before the five is be the V is Henry the Fourth, part one mm -hmm. at the Delacorte. No kidding. Yes. Wow. Uh, there's a picture of him with Rosemary Harris in 1965, off-Broadway production of War and Peace. He also played Titus Andronicus. Huh. And Touchstone, the fool who outwits one and all in As You Like It. Yes. Well, that's great. He's won an Obie, two Tony Award nominations, Drama Desk Awards. Uh, he's been on everything from One Life to Live, 
to the original Logan's Run, to Mannix, Ironside, Gunsmoke, The Defenders, on and on. He's also in Music Box, the Costa Gavras film about a Hungarian immigrant accused of having been a fascist war criminal. Hmm. Just one of those guys. Uh, and he was also famously in Clear and Present Danger as a corrupt president. Right. Not that we have any experience of that. <laughs> so, At least, you see, th- that's when corrupt presidents had class. Back then they had this a little one, you know, plot of ease. exactly. Yeah. So anyway, Donald Moffat, that guy, working actor, dead at 87. That's a good, that's a life well lived. Yes. Um, uh, 87 and, died in Sleepy Hollow, New York, not too far ooh, from here. So he may be making an appearance on some foggy evening. A night Isn't that where Ichabod just Crane? Like tonight, yeah. The headless horseman doth ride. Well, Chris, that's all I've got for you today. <laughs> that's all I got for I've got too. Well, um, I had been thinking in honor of Donald Moffat that we would yes. uh, go out on the uh, on the things. Wow. Well, we just played it though. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, maybe we should do something else. Well, but the problem is, is no one will know what it is. What does he say? I know you've been very busy, gentlemen, but if you don't mind, I'd like to- Not spend the winter. Tied to this fucking couch. Yeah. So what's your what's your perfect little segue well, this, to set that, that wasn't, line up? That wasn't what I was going to play. I was going to play oh. the end of the thing. The last, uh, oh. the last line. I think we're finding a nice balance between fucking up the endings of all the shows and having a button. Because I, that's- I mean, I don't know if you're going to edit the one yesterday. That's going to be very key. <laughs> You're gonna have to have just the right mix. We did have the the listener who was who was sad to see the uh, well, awkward endings go. Stacy in Boston can rest assured. Don't worry, still managed to fuck it up. <laughs> Even and our have it awesome be awkward. endings are awkward, indeed. Uh, well, happy holidays to you and yours. Happy holidays, Chris, and um, uh, we will be rejoining your ears with a new episode every Thursday at four o'clock. If we've got any surprises for each other. I don't think we're in much shape to do anything about it. Well, what do we do? Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. Thanks for listening to Full Cast and Crew. I uh, just wanted to remind everyone to subscribe if you haven't already, so you'll get a new episode every Thursday. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at fullcastandcrewpod at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at fullcastandcrew, or find us on Facebook.